But as we continue to worship our awesome God through worship, uh, through the preaching of his word, let's spend some time in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for uh, today. We thank you for the sun that is shining brightly, for the sun and the warmth that it is bringing, um, and even the little joy that it is bringing us all, Lord. We thank you so much for your creation and how it displays your glory. And Lord, as we gather together to worship you this very day, I pray for all the churches here in London who are preaching your good news, who are preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we specifically think of Summerside, and we pray for Pastor Devin as, as they do very much the same things we are. And we pray that you would bless them as they seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Give wisdom to the elders, uh, Pastor Devin and the other pastors there as well, as they continue to sh- seek to shepherd the flock that you have entrusted to them. But Lord, we pray for all churches here in London. Uh, that we would be faithful in what you have called us to do and to be. A uh, pandemic is not an excuse for us to not be, uh, seek to be faithful to what you have called us to do and to be. So, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to glorify your name, uh, even in the midst of a pandemic. And, Lord, I want to preach uh, so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you, and I want to praise you, praise your name. And, God, uh, I can't do this on my own. So, Lord, by your Spirit. Help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. God, I just pray that you use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things, but also that you would bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 5, and we're going to continue on in our sermon series in John chapter 5. And we're going to be in uh, verses 19 all the way to verse 30. As we see the authority of the Son of God, Jesus' authority. If you remember last week, we took a look at how Jesus made this amazing uh, statement that he is equal with God. And now he goes on to explain what it is. There's a lot of deep theology in here, and it can be easy, it can be easy to get lost. But the simple truth is here. Jesus is doing what he has seen his Father do. Everyone... Every once in a while, I catch myself doing something that my dad did, for better or for worse, as he may say. Uh, especially with uh, raising children of my own, I quickly begin to see my own father coming out in me, which are things that you swear you would not be, or you would not say those things. But it's amazing what happens when you say something or act a certain way and you suddenly have that flashback to your own parents. There's a simple truth when we think about those things. Sons and daughters, we learn life from our parents. And specifically as a son, I learn life from my father. It's a scary thought actually when we think about it, especially if you have your own children. A son learns to walk by watching his dad walk how to carry his shoulders and how to point his toes and how to angle his head and how to keep eye contact with people, how to shake a hand, which is more important than we think these days. All of these come straight from that son's dad. Fathers are so very important to their children. You can use the same idea when we look for other, ex- other examples as we walk through life. As disciples, 
as disciples, we are called to be disciple makers. Even in our church, here at Knollwood, in, in our context, those who are younger, who are looking, there are those who are younger who are looking for, at those who are older, who are further down the road as an example of what it means to grow in Christ's likeness. And believe it or not, they are truthfully and honestly seeking those things out. For the most part, we aren't trailblazers. Right? There's nothing new under the sun. We are following trails that have been already been walked. And we do what we see uh, other people doing and what they have done. And we say what other, people's, other people have said and what we have heard. And we desire what we have seen others value or benefit from. And when we look at this account of Jesus, we see Jesus saying something very simple as well. He is not a lone wolf. He is not a maverick. He's do- not doing whatever he wants or whatever he pleases. He does what he has seen and heard his father do. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 5. And we'll be starting at verse 19. The word of the Lord says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father's love, sorry, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater work works than these will be will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to him whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing, in verse 30, on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the word of the Lord. In verses 19 to 23, we see that son does what the father does. It's pretty simple. The son does what the father does. In verses 19 and actually in verse 30, we see a bracket statement with an explanation of what is happening in between. It's like a sandwich. These verses are rich with Jesus showing us more and more of who he is and what he has done for us. The son, as verse 19 says, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Like a son copies his father, Jesus copies his completely. 
and perfectly. For the Father loves the Son, in verse 20, and shows him all that he himself is doing. God the Father loves his Son, a love that is reserved only between the Father and the Son. This is a love that is shown by how the Father is continually showing the Son all that he does. This is a love that exists only between them. And Jesus is alone worthy of such love, and he is only able to uniquely enjoy that sort of relationship. So why, why does the Father show the Son these things? Why does the Father authorize Jesus to heal on the Sabbath like we saw before? Why will the Father show Jesus even greater things? Why will the Father authorize Jesus even to raise the dead? Verse 20 says this, so that they may marvel. They may marvel at who Jesus is and what he has done. What God the Father wants you to know about God the Son is that there is absolutely no one like him. No one like him. God wants you to know this so much that the Father will show Jesus even greater things so that all will be awed by the incomparable majesty of Jesus Christ. That's why life only comes through him. John, 6, uh, John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 21, For as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. See, the Jews in the previous part that we looked at last week didn't like Jesus making himself equal with God. They hated it. In fact, they, umped up, they amped up their, 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 their plans to try and kill Jesus. But Jesus takes it further. Why he's not only Lord over the Sabbath, Sabbath sorry, but is the one who raises the dead and gives life. He's letting us know as we're reading this passage, as we're reflecting upon what Jesus is saying here, he's letting you and me know and the Jews know that he is the same, he has the same power as God the Father to give life and to quicken death. He's letting them know even more that not only will he give life, but he also judges. See, obviously, the one who has the ability to give life and judge the world, has the right to speak himself equal with God. How will Jesus be greater? Jesus will exercise the authority that has been given to him by raising the dead and judging. Jesus isn't just talking about a physical death, but he's also talking about spiritual death. In John 17, later on, and we'll get there eventually, in John 17, 3, it says this, and this is eternal life, Jesus says, right? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know Jesus is to have eternal life. But here, Jesus is also talking about, in this passage that we're talking about, he's talking about a resurrected life. So what do we mean by resurrection? Well, Jesus talks about that and explains it later on in verse 29. But here, here though, is the thought uh, that, there, uh, that there's, there's this thought out there that when we die, we kind of just float around and kind of like, I don't know, hang out in the clouds and play a harp and we're all like wearing diapers of some kind. 
that we kind of maybe even just fade into existence and nothing happens. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Jesus says at all. We are not destined for wispy existence in the clouds, but for resurrected bodies. There are two bodies, though, if you notice. He's not just talking about one. I think as Christians, we often talk about our resurrected bodies that we will have when we are in the presence of our holy God. And I really look forward to that day. I really do. I'll have my six-pack for sure. I don't know. I don't, that's not God's word. But, but there are two bodies here. Ones that are perfectly fitted to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth or other ones that will endure eternity and almighty wrath of God. There's two, not just one. There is no idea within the Bible that regardless of if you are one who rejects Jesus or accepts Jesus, that you just get to kind of float in the air and that you maybe just fade into the existence. When you die and when Jesus comes back, there's a resurrection of the body, both for those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and, both for, the, and for the other one who has rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And in verse 25, he says this, and he gives life to whom he wills. The Father and the Son give life to whomever they please. And this is a hard one for even me to wrap my mind around. But there's truth here. Life is God's gift. The fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ is purely a gift. You did absolutely nothing to deserve it. Nothing. It is a gift. If you are in Christ, that new life that you have and, and, the, and the promise of a resurrected life where you will spend eternity with a new body with God and enjoying him forever with no more sin in the way is a gift. You have done absolutely nothing to receive the life you have in Christ. Nothing. It is an act of his will, not mine and not yours. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. God does not owe himself to anyone. No one. If anyone is, is to know God, it is because God has mercifully revealed himself to you. As John 17, 6 says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, Jesus says to the Father, and they have kept your word. Jesus gives life to those whom the Father has given to him. And Jesus has the authority to give life to at his own will, either bodily, and we will see that with Lazarus being raised from the dead. He does have power over physical life. But he gives life spiritually as well because we are all dead in our sins. He does all of this with the same power as the Father. The greatest gift he gives those who are in him is to give them life. 
He makes us alive, as even the Greek is saying here. Jesus has the power to make life of all kinds, both physically and spiritually. But no one in the Bible, no prophet or apostle, has done any of these mighty works in his own will. Only Jesus has. As verse 22 says, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Father has also given that judgment. The one who died for sinners is the one who will judge them. Acts 17 says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, the Father gives the Son the ability to raise the dead and entrust all judgment to him so that all would simply do this, honor him. And maybe I shouldn't say simply. As verse 23 says, God the Father wants people to honor God the Son, and God the Father wants people to just marvel at Jesus. Just to marvel. Just to be in awe of him. And what he has done for us. See, God isn't selfish in seeking his own glory. The Father shares his glory with the Son. But really, when you think about this, right? What, what's the most satisfying thing you can give someone? Would it not be the thing that they could possibly enjoy the most? And there is nothing more marvelous than Jesus So to have people marvel at anything else would be to give them something less than the absolute best. For you and I, how are you honoring God as you go about your day? As you're at work, as you're at the park with your kids, as you're interacting with your neighbors, as you're interacting with your kids, and the kids with your parents, Are you showing how marvelous Jesus is as God the Father is seeking to show how marvelous his son is? There is nothing better. So much so that even God the Father gives all of these things to the son so that they may marvel. There is no one more honorable than the Father and the Son, so to have humans honor someone else would be for the Father to put some other God before his people. God is not an idolater. God is a satisfier. God will have his people satisfied. God will have, all, have humanity's thirst for glory, our, our thirst for splendor, our thirst for variety, for beauty, for satisfaction, quenched as believers enjoy the all-sufficient goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even more, think about this, to reject Jesus is to, have, is, is to reject all that we have seen here. To reject Jesus is to reject the Father. You can't come to me and say, I believe in God, but I don't think Jesus is God. You cannot. To make that statement is to reject the Father. You must have Jesus. As verse 23 says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If we see here in verse 20 that the Father loves the Son, then to reject the Son is to reject the Father's beloved. So there's nothing I can say more clearly to you than today, than this, today. Don't reject Jesus. If you are rejecting Jesus, you are rejecting the Father. 
And something to think about is how are you honoring Jesus today? As you're going out today, it's going to be a beautiful day, hopefully. How are you honoring Jesus? This is why the Apostle Paul talks about whatever you do, give glory to God. If it's eating or drinking, honor him. How are you magnifying him and showing other people that he is better than everything? And and, and our context is hard, right? There's so many things that are grabbing at our attention to, to be satisfying to us, but they're all nothing. Only Jesus satisfies. The one we see in chapter 1 of John, who is, as John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Is the second person of the Trinity, the pre-existing Son of God, the one through whom all things were made, declares that he has learned everything from the first person of the Trinity. The Son does what the Father does and nothing else. And it's through Jesus that life comes to those who are dead. In verses 24 to 29, we see that the Son gives life. He gives life to the dead. As he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, he says, our salvation of our souls depends upon hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's why we go. It's why we pay for missionaries and we support missionaries to go to other countries. It's why you are called to go across the street and talk to your neighbor about Jesus Christ because they cannot be saved without hearing the words of Christ. You can't just be a nice person and hope that they will get saved. At some point, you actually have to say the gospel. That Christ died for their sins. That three days later, he rose again. That he ascended to heaven and he will return. We come hearing as obedient disciples. We come hearing with faith and love. We come hearing with a heart ready to do Christ's will. This is the type of hearing that saves. This is what Jesus is talking about here. It's about submitting our hearts to Christ's teaching and to sit humbly at his feet by faith and learn from him, of him, to hear his voice and to follow him. Because this is what saves, as he says later on in in the same sentence. He says, he does not come into judgment. The one who hears my word and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment, but has passed from what to death? From death to life. I don't know if you and I fully grasp the depth of this. I know I don't. Even as I was singing the songs this morning, I was becoming more aware of these things. As, as Peter was reading the passage of confession and assurance and becoming more aware of these things, for those who hear and believe enjoy a present salvation, you are completely justified and forgiven. There, there, there remains no condemnation for you. Your sins are put away. Look at those words. He does not come into judgment. In Christ, 
you have an entirely new position before a holy God. You are like one who has moved from one side of a chasm to another. Dwell on those privileges with me, would you? Dwell on them. Let them, let them sink deep into your heart. Remind, let them remind you of the hope that you have that is unshakable. Dwell on the spiritual treasures that come in Christ. Look at them. Look at them. Do you see the presentness of your salvation that comes in Christ? At the moment of hearing and believing, you are pardoned, you are forgiven, you are saved. You're not with Christ in eternity yet. But these things are yours in Christ for all who hear and believe. Do you hear the completeness of Jesus' justification? It's not half, it's full. In Christ, your sins are entirely removed. You have passed from death to life. You're not some straddling the, the boat and the dock situation. You are in a new kingdom. It has been taken away. It, your sins have been blotted out of the God's book by Christ's blood. In Christ, you don't look at judgment with fear. You stand without fault before the throne of God. Do, do you see the change in your relationship and your position towards God that happens in Christ? Dwell on this. In this simple sentence, you are no longer as someone who is dead before God. You're now standing before God like a person, you're not standing before God like a person sentenced to death any longer. Romans 6, 11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but, and, alive to God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want you to know the depths of what Jesus is saying here. The implications of, of what it means when we dwell upon these things. If you are in Christ, these are your treasures. And I want you to know these more. These are the privileges of true believers. This is Christ's power to give life. The final resurrection of all the dead. It's, it, is a, it is a want of knowledge in many cases that is the secret of want of peace. If you want more peace, no more Jesus. Are you resting in him? Have you heard and believed? If you haven't, then you haven't passed from death to life and you can claim none of these things. But if you have, this, these promises are yours. As he says in verse 25, even more things will happen. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. I can't, as I said, can't help but flash forward to John 11 and see Lazarus who's dead for three days in a tomb. Like he's stinking and ripe. And all Jesus does is he speaks into the tomb and Lazarus walks out. That's all he does. I can't wait. And he just commands him to get up. But this isn't just talking about the physical resurrection, right? We're talking about a spiritual one as well. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
There is a spiritual life upon hearing Christ's word and a resurrection upon hearing Christ's word. When we look at verse 26, it shows why Jesus has this ability. As he himself explains, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in him. Look back again. Remember, the whole point of John is so that we may believe. In John 1, 4, it says this, with, it says, in him was life. If the word was in the beginning with God, then there never was a time when this gift was not being given. Okay, we need to understand this. The father has always been granting the son to have life in himself. And the Father has always loved the Son and shown him that he himself is doing. If this isn't how it is, there would have been a time when Jesus did not have life in himself. And if he didn't have life in himself, he would have been lesser than the Father. But Jesus says in verse 18 that he and the Father are one. If this were so, Hebrews 13, 8 could not say that Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Paul could not speak of Jesus being in the form of God in Philippians 2. And Jesus would have no business saying things like, I and the Father are one, as in John 10. The Son receives the gift of life in himself from the Father, but it is an eternal gift with the result that the Son has always been equal with the Father. This is deep in trying to understand what, who Jesus is. And those who have done good, as he says in verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgments. Jesus is the one who has the ability and the authority to give life. And he defines who. And then he might say, wait, pastor, I thought you, we, we talked about you know, being saved by faith and faith alone. But these verses really sound like I'm saved by being a good person. Well, let's look back to 24. That those who believe God don't enter judgment. The resurrection of life comes to those who are justified by faith. The grounds of their justification is the work of Christ on the cross. That is the way we are saved through faith. But with salvation, with this salvation, there is evidence that comes through in our lives. If you are saved, if Christ has given you a new life, then you must act like you have a new life. You are a new creation. You are new. And if you are new in your life, there will be evidence of that, that new life. And as one theologian said, Small fruit is still fruit, but there will be fruit. There will be a growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior. There will be a growing in your disdain and your hate of the sin that is in your life and a growing desire to fight it by the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within you. There will be growing. Your works come through what God has done for us. The evidence that you are saved, that you are justified, that you are born again, adopted children of God, that is the evidence that is shown through your good works. Our good works doesn't save us, but it is evidence of what is within us.
John 3, 21 says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It is through Jesus Christ that you have life. It is through Jesus' perfect obedience that you can have life. It is through Jesus' obedience for those who, that it is through Jesus' obedience that those who believe have these benefits that we have talked about. That we can come to Jesus who is sympathetic to our needs, as Hebrews 4 says. We can come to Jesus because of his complete obedience was shown on the cross, as Philippians 2 verse 8 says. We can see Christ's obedience and how it brings eternal benefit to those who believe because Jesus prayed to the Father and the Father responds clearly, shows that Christ's own death was the only way to save the lost men and women like you and me. Jesus was obedient. He was submissive. And it's through his sacrifice, through his death, that we have life. So do you believe? Are you resting in him? Are you resting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? That Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again and ascended to the right hand of God and will one day return? When he returns, he will judge. Either you are the one who did good to the resurrection of life as evidence of the new life that Christ has given you, or you are the one who did evil to the resurrection of judgment as evidence of a life that is not a new creation. Jesus gives life to those who hear and believe, but judges all those who reject him. And he does all of this as a son, as he says in verse 30 again, as a son does the will of the Father. I can do nothing on my own, he says. And the whole passage is Jesus explaining to his opponents why it was right for him to heal on the Sabbath. Why? Because he's still working like his father. He makes the point that the father is working, so he is working. They wanted to kill him for what they viewed as blasphemy, but Jesus stands up and he tells them the reality of the situation. Look at what he has outlined for us today. He does only what he sees his father doing. He raises the dead because he has life in himself. He will judge because he is the son of man. He says that for those who believe, the one who sent him have eternal life and do not come into judgment. While those who do the evil of rejecting him face resurrection into judgment. Jesus and the Father are in such a close relationship that he can't do anything independent and separately from the Father. Jesus judges and decides and speaks on all points in complete harmony with his Father. This is why Jesus can judges and speaks. He is right in every account, he says. This is who our God is. This is who our Jesus is. And Jesus submits to his Father. His unqualified commitment not to please himself, but the one who sent him. That guarantees that all he says and does, even on the last day, is completely in accord with the Father's will. So what does this mean for you and for me? 
If you don't honor the Son, you can't honor the Father. If Jesus isn't Lord, you aren't a follower of Jesus. Jesus has authority to give life and to judge. When we look at this account of Jesus, we see Jesus saying something very, very simple. He is not a lone wolf. He's not a maverick doing whatever he wants. He does what he has seen his father do. And like I said, there's a lot going on here. And we're talking essentially about a foundational doctrine to Christianity, which is called the Trinity. Specifically, what is called the economics of the Trinity. We know that God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 says that. And we know that he eternally exists in three persons. But there are distinctions among the three persons of the Trinity that the Bible clearly talks about. So, for example, each person has a slightly different role in salvation of humanity. Our salvation is based on the Father's power and love, John 3.16 and John 10.29. But then it is also that the Son's death and resurrection come into play as we see in 1 John 2 and Ephesians 2. And then we have the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit regenerates and seals us. When we are looking at the different tasks of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it helps me understand this idea of the economics of the Trinity. There is also, though, this voluntary subordination among the Trinity. In the Father, the Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. The Spirit will speak only what he hears. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are ontologically equal, but they are economically distinct. What that means is that each person in the Trinity has a different role, and those roles involve relationships that can be best, can be, best be described as superordinate and subordinate all at the same time. Jesus and the Father are so in sync together that to reject Jesus is to reject the Father. To reject his message is to refuse to believe the one who sent Jesus. The only living and true God, because Jesus does, not, does only what he sees the Father doing, says only what the Father wishes him to say, and judges only as he hears on the authority of the Father. Jesus has authority to give life and to judge. What are you hearing and what are you believing today? What are you resting in as you go about your day? Because Jesus says this, he says, truly, truly, he makes a promise. To live an eternal life, man can truly have it if he believes in the one who sent him and believes Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we just have a greater understanding of who you are and what you have done for us and this unique relationship between the Father and the Son. God, if life only comes through your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray that we would grow even more and more in that understanding so our hope may grow more and more. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's even listening who may not know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would convict them by the work of the Holy Spirit and that you would call them to 
yourself, that you would give them a heart of flesh that enables them to believe. And amen.